to the Uproom Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit uproomfrisco.com. I, 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 was, uh, I was praying this week for our time together and really seeking God for a fresh word for Uproom Frisco. And I felt so led to something I have been teaching in Dallas. So um, I wrestled with God because I didn't just want to preach something that I've been preaching, but I really feel like this word is is a word that um, that is it needs to be on the radar of the body here as you grow. Um, it, this will uh, guard your heart, it will heal your heart, and it's something you're going to have to keep before you if you're going to make it in community, if you're going to make it by saying, hey, I want to sign up with these people, I want to walk with them, uh, this revelation is mandatory, and uh, it's central to anyone that is following Jesus, but I, I think it's pretty understated. Um, I don't think we have a full grasp of this word. Um, it's something we begin to teach our kids when they're little. Um, I do it all the time with my two sons, my two daughters. When they fight, we lead them in forgiveness. We teach them about forgiving one another. And sometimes, you know, it's just like, I forgive you, I forgive you, and it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a shallow transaction. But forgiveness is not a shallow transaction. Forgiveness is something that um, it, it not only is our entry into the kingdom, it's the oxygen that we breathe. In fact, it's a part of the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus uh, was asked, teach it, how do we pray? A part of the daily prayer that we're to pray is forgive us our sins as we forgive those sins against us. It prepares us for the day. And I was confronted with this uh, reality in a very dramatic way in May of this year. I was in Estonia, which is in northern Europe. It borders Russia. And we were having a day of prayer for the church in Ukraine. We gathered a couple of thousand people there in, um, in the capital of Estonia on, on the singing field there in Tallinn. And one of my assignments in going was to lead a communion service. And this wasn't in Tallinn. It was about two hours uh, I guess it would be east, um, and it was at the Russian border. So Estonia and Russia are divided by a river. And um, I was going to lead a communion service there for around 200 pastors. 80% uh, of them were Ukrainian pastors. So you can imagine the tension that existed being that close to Russia. And as we're walking uh, up to this castle, this beautiful castle, each each. Each side of the river had a castle. The Russian castle was about 10 times the size of the Estonian one, um, but they had had conflicts, you know, decades ago, and they had built these two fortified structures to protect their lands. And um, the day before we got there, uh, they had just removed a banner that was on the Estonian side, uh, this castle, and, and the banner was in response to what the Russians were doing. And the Russians, for about two weeks, had set up this screen that had a projector and speakers. And 24 hours a day, seven days a week for two weeks, they would blast Russian propaganda into Estonia. They were, they were sharing about uh, the, the cause of this war and the injustices that had happened to Russia. And they were, they were being fed the Russian propaganda that, that exists on the Russian side. And so this banner, though, that the Estonians put up, it was a picture of President Putin. And this, this massive picture is probably, uh, it's probably 30, 40 feet. It just draped down this castle. Uh, the picture of Putin, he had a bullet in his head with blood coming down his forehead. 
and it said in English, uh, Putin is a war criminal. And, and they were telling me about just, just the tensions between these two nations, and, and, and we're going into uh, communion, and, and I had a, a planned script. Like, I felt like the Lord had given me a word um, for this communion service, and as we're, we're gathering, the lead pastor of this event came up to me, and he was U- Ukrainian, and he said, hey, can you tell me what you're going to share uh, when we take communion? And I said, we're going we're gonna to talk about forgiveness. We're going to talk about forgiveness. Matthew, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he said, this is the blood of, of, of the covenant, the new covenant f- for the forgiveness of sins. And if we come to this table, we need to know this is the only place that we can rightfully and thoroughly deal with conflict and sin. And, um, and, and, and this pastor looked at me, is this, is this, will this be podcasted? Not if you don't want it to. Okay. I need to ask just because I want to honor, um, want to honor them, but it, 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 and I've shared this story, so it's, it's not a big deal, but, um, he said, he said, you can't lead us in forgiveness. You, you can't, you can't, you can't lead us through forgiveness. It's too raw. It's too real. The pain's too deep. And I was really taken back by, by, by this. And I, I, I said, man, I, I want to honor that. And I, I, I quickly got away with the Lord before I went up to share. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, you can lead them to forgiveness, but you can't lead them through it. Them, them going through forgiveness is an act of their will. And, um, and God, God moved pretty powerfully that day, but, but I, I wrestled with, with, with that conversation, and, and it's taken me into a journey to understand biblically why is forgiveness important? Why is it central? And one of the things I discovered is Jesus as a teacher, especially to the audience in the day that he was teaching, most of the virtues that Jesus talked about were honored and would have been known although Jesus talked about them in a way that no one probably had talked about them. Uh, but, but the issue of forgiveness was revolutionary. No one had talked about forgiving your enemies. No one had talked about forgiveness the way that Jesus talked about forgiveness. It was the dividing line of the gospel. That, that when someone in the first century church gave their life to the Lord, they were signing up for a life that will not retaliate for wrongs. They were signing up for if, if they're betrayed by family, if they're uh, persecuted by governments, that they would forgive. And you see that in the life of Stephen when he's being stoned. He echoed Jesus' words, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do, even though he was about to be killed by the ones he was forgiving. And being confronted there in Estonia with just the, the level of pain that these pastors are going through. Literally the weekend, that night, it was, a, it was a, well, Friday, and the coming weekends, drones from Russia were sent to Kiev, and uh, some parishioners in the church of some pastors that I knew were killed because of these drone attacks. Um, there were pictures of bombs coming in from Russian planes, and the church was holding. They knew not. They didn't know what to do. They had been praying, and they decided that that if they were going to be attacked, that they were going to have a celebration, and they were out dancing, and eating as bombs were being dropped. And and I just I just thought what these people have seen I I I, I have no grid for, and 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 is the gospel sufficient 
in, in that type of geopolitical conflict where, where, where kids are being murdered. And, and I just started to like realize how radical the gospel is, how radical it is for us to forgive in those injustices, in those wrongs, that, that when we're faced with the pain of being wrong, how are wronged, how are we going to respond? And not only did, did you know, I look at it from, from a macro standpoint, but then I was confronted with ways that, that I felt like I've been betrayed and I've been wronged and the pain of that and how, how, how I needed to process it, that, that, that this shallow understanding of forgiveness was hindering me from entering into the fullness of not only me receiving God's love, but me embodying it and giving it to others. And, and so I, I've just been on this journey and I did a four-week series back in June along the lines of forgiveness. And it was probably the most fruitful series I've done in Dallas. Just so much healing set forth. And so um, I can't give you all that revelation, but I do feel like this is an important pastoral word for Upper Room Frisco. Because the closer you get to this community, the closer you get to Jeremy and Ashley, the closer you get to the elders, the closer you get to small group leaders, the closer you get, the more you're going to realize that we are imperfect people. We're, we, I know Jeremy and Ashley, and I know they're limp. And I trust them because of their limp, because they're aware of their limp. I've watched them walk through trial. I've watched them walk through betrayal, and I've watched them embody the love of Jesus through it. But they're imperfect. You're imperfect. And it's, it's easier just to walk away than to actually sit and walk through it. And as you come into this church, many of you are new uh, you may have been wounded by your past church, and those wounds will show up here unless you fully and thoroughly dealt with them. Because oftentimes the church is the source of a lot of our pain and unforgiveness. And so we just need to, to be aware of it, and we need to understand biblically what forgiveness is. Uh, I think culturally, um, forgiveness is a virtue that is fading. It's a virtue that, that we... Uh, I think, I think at one point it was really central to our society, but right now um, you're, you're de-incentivized to actually forgive. Um, the lower down you are on the, you know, the justice scale or the more you've been wronged, actually it positions you right now to a platform of honor. Uh, Tim Keller wrote about this, and I, I, Tim Keller has a great book. If this, this message blesses you at all, I'd really encourage you to get his book. It was his last work before he went to be with the Lord a few months ago, but it was a work called Forgiveness. And he says this. He says, he says uh, uh, that in the new shame and honor culture, being a victim grants status. The further down the existing social ladder one is, the greater honor is possible. This culture values fragility and outrage and thereby de-incentivizes uh, de de-incentivizes forgiveness. After all, if unresolved differences provide a platform for being outraged, forgiving offenses forfeit status. Forgiveness is now seen as radically unjust and impractical. Uh, he writes, as short-circuiting the ability of victims to gain honor and virtue as others rise to defend them. And so this culture is littered with enormous numbers of broken and now irreparable uh, relationships. 
And so I just want us to see this morning, if, if there's one thing, I, I want you to understand the, the power of forgiveness and I want you to see the process of forgiveness because forgiveness is a process. And, uh, and there's five stages to forgive and these stages have blessed me so much in some of my own personal pains, some of my own personal uh, offenses that I didn't realize uh, that I had. And so um, we're going to uh, look at Matthew 18. So if you have your Bible, say, I love my Bible. So before I read Matthew 18 and give you the five steps of forgiveness, um, I, I, want, I want you to see that, that uh, when you're wronged, when, when, when pain, when someone causes pain to you or to a loved one, um, you get angry. The, the natural response is anger. Anger isn't wrong. Paul actually said, don't let the sun go down on your anger which means anger is a natural response to pain. When you see injustices, I think culturally what's happening is we, we now have access to, to so much and we see injustices clearly. And, and cultural's, culture's response to injustices is anger. We get angry about a wrong, but the Bible says that the anger of man cannot produce the righteousness of God. So, but in our anger, we attempt to make things right, which only creates more wrongs. Let me say that again. When there's an injustice, the pain of that injustice, whether it's personally or culturally, we move towards that injustice and, and, and the result of us moving towards it and engaging it is anger. We take up arms. And, and when we take up arms, if we do not surrender it, to the lordship of Jesus, we end up in the wrong. And ultimately, anger that ages, anger that ages, sets a root of bitterness. Yes. Anger does not age like wine. <laughs> anger in the heart ages like milk, and it rottens a soul. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, he says, see to it that none of you fall short of the grace of God. So, so part of the grace of God that's been afforded to you is dealing with the wrongs that you've encountered. He says, see to it that none of you fall short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up inside of you. And it says, for that root of bitterness will defile many. Have you ever met a bitter person? If you, if you hit that topic, if you, hit, if you say that person's name, that root of bitterness shows up, and it'll show up through their words, and it will defile those around them. It, it, just bitterness, it, 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 it produces itself, um, and it attracts other bitter people. But, but you know, the first time that, it's, it's interesting, um, the first time that God is revealed as healer in Scripture it's Exodus 14, and the nation of, or, well, the people of Israel have been under Egyptian captivity for 400 years, so they had known nothing but enslavement. And it actually says in Exodus 1, I think it's around verse 14, it says that their lives were embittered because of the slavery that they were under, just the taskmaster 
that their hearts had become so hard that they just lived embittered lives. And it's all they had known for generations was a spirit and root of bitterness. And so this great deliverance happens. They go across the Red Sea. Revival breaks out. The Song of Moses is sung. It's, it's probably the, one of the greatest songs ever sung. It actually says in the book of Revelation that they're singing in heaven the Song of Moses. That's a powerful moment. So Moses is singing this song. Miriam's dancing this dance. And they are freed from the Egyptians. The Red Sea has parted. It is a significant moment in the nation of Israel. In that text, in that text of revival and deliverance, the Lord immediately leads them to the waters of Marah. Everyone say Marah. Marah. It, it was, they were thirsty, and he led them to waters, and, and they taste the waters, and Marah means bitterness. And what God was doing in the natural is he was putting the taste of bitterness on their physical tongue so he could expose what had happened to their, to their souls and what they had tasted now for 400 years. And, and they start groaning and complaining, and Moses actually takes this tree. He tells them to cut down a tree of all things, a tree. He cuts down this tree, and he throws it in the water, and the bitterness, the bitter waters turn to sweet. And, and God actually shows up uh, for the first time as, I am God, your healer. It's the first time he's seen as God, your healer. He wasn't healing a physical disease. He was here healing the disease of the soul, which is bitterness. And they could not move forward unless that bitterness was thoroughly dealt with. And guess what? They never fully got delivered. They wandered in the desert, and I believe it was because that root of bitterness never came out of their heart. And I could go into the cross how Jesus, um, it, it actually says in, in the gospel account, you know, the, 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 redemptive, the redemptive nature of the cross, the power of the cross thoroughly dealt with our condition. Like everything he went through was with intent, from the, the drops of sweat to, to the nails to the 39 lashes. But it says when he was on the cross, when he was on the cross, they offered him the bitter gall. It was, it was a gall. It was a, it was a concoction that, that, that was a wine, but they put, they put, an, uh, they put an agent in the wine that was, that was bitter, and if he, would have come, if he would have drank it, it would, have, uh, it would have been a form of like anesthesia. It would have numbed him to what he was going to do. It would have uh, kind of inoculated him a little bit where he, he would have been... Uh, out of it. Now, now Jesus didn't take it, I think, because he was fully present and aware of what he was going to go through. But, but it says this in the account. This is amazing. It says that he tasted it, but he did not swallow it. Think about that. He tasted the bitter gall, but he refused to digest it. He spit it out. What does that mean? That he has tasted the bitterness of the wrongs, the, the wrongs that you've been through, he's tasted that anger and that thing, but he spit it out because he gave us power to forgive because immediately after he spits it out are the famous words, Father, forgive them, no, not what they do. The, the cross is sufficient. And listen, your ability to forgive, it is not in your strength. It is supernatural. This is not just something that that you're teaching a three-year-old and four-year-old to do. Like three-year-old, four-year-old, we need to show them the importance of forgiveness. But I'm 46 and I'm, I'm, I'm coming into the revelation 
of the power of not only his forgiveness towards me, but as I receive his forgiveness, now I am positioned to actually give it. Because to the extent that I've been forgiven, to the extent that I've been loved, to the extent that I've received this grace from him, I have the ability to give it. And so where I can't forgive, it's a revelation of the lack of my awareness and reception of the forgiveness that I have access to. It's a litmus for my relationship with him. And listen, I realize I'm stepping on some ancient wounds. In your, ancient. Some, some uh, they're ancient and, and from your standpoint, but there, 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 there could be wounds that you've held for decades. Like I, if you'll allow me to get up in your business just for the next 20 minutes, I, 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 it's, it's for freedom that he came. But I've, I've, been, I've been a pastor for a while now, over two decades, and the, the most dangerous people that I've seen are bitter. The most toxic people are bitter. The, the demonic, just stronghold that bitterness creates in a heart and a soul, um, it, it's scary. It, it's actually the root the, 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 the spirit of murder is rooted in bitterness. Now, you may not physically murder someone, but, but you have relationally. And so I, I just, I want to lay out these, these five steps before you. And, and, and what this will do is this will just kind of give you a grid with where you are in the process of forgiveness. Because forgiveness isn't something that happens in a moment. I love the and suddenlies of God. I love, I've seen addicts freed in a moment. I've seen healings happen in a moment. But what I've learned in my journey and relationship with this topic is that forgiveness is a process. Forgiveness is something that I have to daily do and surrender to the Lord. And so these, these five steps have really helped me identify where I'm at in the process of forgiving those that have wronged me. And so um, let me, let me, let's just read this story. This is Jesus's um, pinnacle teaching on the subject. And, and it's a story that you're very familiar with, but these five steps are actually found in this story. And uh, I'll lay out the five steps in a second, but let me just read through the text. Genesis, uh, Matthew chapter 18. Um, verse 23, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owned him, who owned him, owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owned him a hundred denarii and seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay me back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling, and he went and he threw him into prison, um, until he should pay back all that he was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw, when the fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to, the, to their Lord uh, all that happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave 
in, in the same way that I had mercy on you. And his Lord moved with anger, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you do not forgive his brothers from his brother from his heart. Um, and so this is this is Jesus's teaching. Um, it's an insurmountable debt that a slave owed a king. Uh, the insurmountable debt, the, the 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 talents, you know, it doesn't translate necessarily into our currency. And so. Um, since I'm the pastor, I went ahead and did the heavy lifting for us. And uh, uh, I want to show you what he was forgiven of. <clears throat> Interesting that it's disappeared in my notes. Hmm. Sorry about this. Um, Well, trust me on this one. Um, 10,000 talents, it, it, I think a talent is 15 years of wages. A talent is 15 years of wages. You 10,000, it's 150,000 years of wages. It's a lot of money. So in modern day currency, what I did is I said, well, let's say, let's say the guy was making 60 grand a year. You do 60 grand, 15 years, times 10,000, it's close to $9 trillion. That's an insurmountable debt. Would have taken him, I mean, he, he simply could not pay it. And, uh, and then the, the, the debt that he wouldn't forgive, um, which is, I think it's a, a 100 denarii, um, this was a day's wage. It was $164. So you see the, the Jesus is using this analogy, he's setting this up to, to really inflate, to really like uh, exaggerate a point and, and for us to see that we were the ones that owed the $9 trillion. We, we had an insurmountable debt that, that we've received forgiveness of. So let, let me give you the five steps to forgiveness that aren't on my notes um, because somehow a demon erased them. <laughs> Um, oh my gosh, wild, I said that and they popped up. That was not there. Oh, and they're right here. Okay, here's the, here's the five, five, <laughs> there you go, all right. Oh, I'm glad I'm with family. All right, uh, Matthew 18, the, the five. One is acknowledging the pain and the blame. Acknowledging the pain and the blame. So th this is, this is uh, in sequ sequence. So you, you, one leads to two, two leads to three, three leads to four, four leads to five. So yeah, take a picture and then, and then, and then let, me, let me walk you through these. So first is acknowledging the pain and the blame. Um, this happens in this account because in verse 24, uh, he began to settle accounts with his slaves and he, he began with one man. So it's one man owing a king and it was a large debt. So this king is acknowledging that you owe me money. You owe me a lot of money. We made an agreement. You haven't paid it. And however wealthy this king was, he felt a $9 trillion debt, all right? This was, this was on his ledger. And he's looking at the one that has caused him to incur this debt. And so he brings him before him and says, you're going to pay me. 
because you've wronged me. You did not uphold your end of the bargain. So this starts with, with a fact. The king does not skate over it. He does not sugarcoat it. He lays out the blame and the pain owed to this person. So this is something that we all need to do. We need to acknowledge if we've been wronged. We need to acknowledge the pain of being wronged and the blame for who wronged us. That hurt and it's your fault. You caused me pain. And it, it, it brought anger. It, it made me angry. It could be towards your spouse. It could be towards a coworker. It could be towards a pastor. But I was wronged. And you're the reason that happened. To me, sometimes that's the hardest place to get to. Because we want to grit our teeth and say, that actually didn't hurt. I'm fine. Are you sure? <laughs> Here's a mirror, you know, like... You're manifest when that person gets near. You can't have a normal conversation. We need to acknowledge that they hurt you. We need to acknowledge that this caused you pain. I think, I think one, of the, one of the teachings that's been, um, I, I understand it when it's taught right and thoroughly, but I don't think this has been taught right and thoroughly. I think it's been sugar surface level taught, and it's, it's that we as Christians should live unoffendable. There's this thing like I, 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 you know, I'm so complete in Jesus that you can't, I'm not, I'm not going to carry offense towards you. And I get that. Like that should be, that should be where we end up. But what it's, what it's caused in a lot of our hearts and the name of being unoffendable, we're not acknowledging the pain that someone's caused. And I, I get that you can get to a place of being unoffendable, but if you're not going to actually acknowledge that you have a right to be offended for what they did, you're not going to enter into the unoffendable category. So I've sat in front of people and I've been like, hey, listen, we have an issue here. And they're like, no, we don't. I, I've, I've forgiven them. I'm fine. It's, it's great. I, I, you can't offend me. And I'm like, bro, let's get, let's get like, this is earth. Rocks are hard. Water's wet. Like, let's talk about this. Let's not, let's not get super spiritual. We'll get super spiritual. But let's acknowledge the truth of that pain and that wound. You with me? Yeah. So we acknowledge the pain, we acknowledge the blame. And, uh, and so the second one, and again, this is us moving towards forgiveness, is we identify with their humanity. So we identify with their weakness. We identify with their brokenness. In this story, uh, the, the king does that. Uh, it says in 25 and 26, but since he did not have the means to repay him, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children. This guy just went from being a dude to being a husband and a father. This guy went from, from, from having a life. There, there was, and, and he also fell down on the ground, bowed prostrate before him and, and, and said, I, I will do all that I can to help. So there's a level of contrition here in his heart that the king sees. And so sometimes um, I, I don't think we, we acknowledge the, the person who wounded us, their humanity, that, that they might be wounded too. Hurt people hurt people. And, and so sometimes sitting in their shoes, identifying with, with the plight that has been given to them, what life has dealt them, that, that, that's a very important part of moving towards forgiveness is, okay, you hurt me, but then I am going to 
acknowledge your humanity and your brokenness, and it's the reason why you did what you did. Broken people break people. Hurt people hurt people. Wounded people wound people. And on some level, everyone in this room has been wounded by someone, and on some level, we have all wounded someone. So we're all in this together. You with me? So, so we acknowledge their humanity. Empathy. Empathy is a powerful form of love. What's empathy? Empathy is putting yourself in their shoes. I remember one time I was having a hard time with uh, someone that was very near and dear to me. And so I was with the Lord, and, and all of a sudden, I, I saw their bedroom. I, I mean, it was, we were close, and I saw them in their bedroom. I saw them wake up, and I just started living out their day. I started like, okay, getting coffee, reading his Bible. There's his family, driving to church, driving to work, driving to, to you know, running his staff. And I just started relating to all that was surrounding him, and it gave me compassion for him. And that compassion led to me understanding, oh, you know what? He's doing his best. All of a sudden, I, I felt this connection to him based on me identifying, man, he's a dude just like me. Empathy. So identifying with their humanity. Um, and then the third one, this is the tough one. Refusing to take revenge. Refusing to take revenge. You wronged me. This hurt. It's your fault. I'm going to take up arms, and I'm going to make this wrong right. Uh, this king refused to take revenge. Um, he... He deserved prison and total loss. He deserved to be uh, uh, thrown into prison. He deserved the book needed to be thrown at him, but this king refused to take revenge, and he let him off the hook. He let him off the hook. Uh, which, which then, like number three, is directly connected to number four, and to me, number four is the hardest. Number four is the hardest, is that you willingly have to endure the caused pain. Here's what that means. Just because you forgive someone doesn't mean the pain goes away. Just because you forgive someone doesn't mean the wrong that they caused you is immediately gone and you're floating on clouds and everything's perfect. Just because this king forgave this guy the debt, he had to incur the $9 trillion loss. It was still on his ledger. Him forgiving him did not remove the debt now that he had to sit under. And sometimes the wrongs that have happened to us and you know, I think about my Ukrainian pastors and all the, the pain that they're having to endure even today. And, and to keep a posture of forgiveness, to keep a posture of, of, of letting them off the hook, it is only, only by God's grace and supernatural that that happens. But some of you have been, been wronged and that pain has impacted your life significantly. And part of us forgiving is saying, I am going to endure this pain. And here's the thing is Jesus is a man of sorrows. He meets us in that pain. And ultimately us, us not again, acknowledging the first three, if we, if, if that pain is the source of our motivation, it just feeds that bitterness. And so us acknowledging uh, the pain that they've caused, and then enduring in that pain. And then the last place that we get to is, is after we've acknowledged the pain, identified with humanity, refusing to take revenge, willingly enduring caused pain, um, we, we, we get to a place, and this, this is where we enter into total forgiveness. Say total forgiveness. So we're walking to forgiveness, but total forgiveness is that I can actually wish the best upon that offender. I can, I can wish the best for them. I want God's best for them. And part of blessing the offender, what I've learned, is that I no longer talk about the offense. 
I'm no longer going to talk about it. When I see them, when it's brought up, if someone tries to poke and say, hey, what do you think about that dude? What do you think about this guy? Man, awesome. I may not say anything, but I'm not going to regurgitate the offense because I've let it go. And I'm going to show you another instance where that happened. But blessing the offender, um, when, when this man released him and forgave him of his debt, and he was freed. He was freed. Um, so forgiveness is, is cutting the link that created the harm. Thus, that, that sets us free once that link is cut, and we can actually issue blessing. One other, one other story that fits these five points, and then I'll tell a story and we'll pray for each other, is the story of Joseph. Joseph, um, Joseph was wronged by his brothers. You, you know the story. He was thrown into a pit, left for dead. Um, some some uh, merchants came by, picked him up, sold him into slavery. I mean, the guy lived for 20 years. Uh, he was in prison. He was in a foreign land. Uh, J- Joseph had every reason to be embittered towards his brothers. But the, this process actually played out between Joseph and his brothers. Go to, go to Genesis chapter 45. I want to hustle because I, I want to share one last story with you. Genesis 45. I love this story in this context. I'd never seen how radical Joseph's forgiveness was towards his brothers until um, I started studying this topic. But uh, in Genesis 45 verse 1, Joseph... His brothers, you realize this, his brothers have come looking for food because there's this famine, and Joseph is the second highest ranking official in the nation of Egypt. He's had this dream, and they've set aside resources, so people are coming because of Joseph's leadership. And, uh, and Joseph, Joseph's brothers are there, and it says that he, he hadn't told him yet, I'm your brother. They didn't know it was the brother, and so Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried, have everyone go out for me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? Here's a revelation, and I think this was key to why Joseph could forgive his brothers. You're going to see that he had forgiven them. But Joseph's first question wasn't about the brothers. It was about the father. It's, 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 it's a conscience. It's, it's our conscience being aware of the love of the Father that gives us the ability to forgive our brothers. First question, how's our Father? I think it was, it, was, it was his Father's love for him and his Father's love for his brothers that actually enabled him to get to this place. That'll preach. I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold, whom you sold into Egypt. Blame, pain. You did this. I'm your brother. You did this. You sold me. He doesn't, he doesn't, I love that he doesn't sugarcoat it. Now, I bet his brothers are like, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? But look at what he does. He says, I love this. He says, now, do not be grieved or angry with yourselves. He starts ministering to him. Because you sold me here for God. He sees God's purposes through the brother's offense. For God sent me before you to preserve life. He found God's purposes in the pain. He found God's purpose. He found God's hands through the wrong. Because God causes all things to work for the good. 
God takes the pains and he brings forth beauty. He takes ashes, beauty, mourning, joy. He does what only he can. He did that with Joseph here. So for the famine, verse six, uh, for the famine has been in the land these two years. There's still five years in which uh, there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me father to Pharaoh and Lord of his household, ruler of Egypt and land. Hurry and go to my father. Thus says your son, Joseph, uh, your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall live in the land of Goshen, so he provides for them. You know the story, but these, these are here. He acknowledges the pain and the blame. I'm Joseph, your brother. You sold me to slavery. Identifying with their humanity, I am Joseph. Is our father still alive? He identifies. We're still brothers. We have the same father. He refuses to take revenge. I think, I think part of him, I didn't mention this initially, but I think part of him removing the officials, it starts out, he removes all of his officials. Joseph was the, he was the highest ranking official under Pharaoh the ruler. And I think if they would have heard what the brothers did, they would have avenged his blood. And he removes them out because it was between Joseph and his brothers. And I think he was protecting them by not, not telling everyone of the offense that he had endured. And many of us do that. Many of us, we take the badge of victim. I've been hurt at church. I, I've, been, I've been wounded there. You don't know what I've been through. And listen, if you need to talk through it, find one or two people you can talk to. Find a pastor, find a counselor, process it. But don't process it with everyone. So he refused to take revenge. Uh, he willingly endured cause pain. Um, you know, he said, do not be grieved or angry with yourself because you sold me here. I, I've lived as a slave. He willingly endured it, and then he blessed them by providing for them. All five steps are found here. All five steps are found here. And then after the father dies, the brothers actually, later in Genesis, I think it's chapter 50, he, the brothers are like, oh, now that dad's dead, he's going to get back, to, back at us. Now that, and so they actually had this conversation. And Joseph, Joseph said this so clearly. He goes, he's like, he's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you're bringing this up. Am I to step into God's place? He refused to take God's place. He entrusted himself to the leadership of God. And many times when we give our pain over to the Lord, we're, 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 we're entrusting it to his position in our lives. It's a way of worship. So um, I, I actually had a radical story of forgiveness that happened uh, in 20, this was actually 2018. Um, I, 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 uh, I, I love sports. Um, I, I was... I was a college athlete. I played baseball in college, but my first love was basketball. Uh, I, I loved basketball. Basketball was my deal. Me and, me and, me and some guys had played basketball, uh, and I was captain of these teams. I'd been MVP of my, I'm like, feel like I'm flexing. I'm not. Uh, of MVP of my junior varsity team. And uh, so anyways, I'm not, I'm just telling you like, it's a big deal to me, all right? It's a big deal. This is a sensitive subject. So um, you guys are like, who's this guy? No, I'm not, I'm not being that guy. Uh, <laughs> But it was a big deal to me. So, so coming into my junior year, uh, uh, I was going to be a starting point guard. And the team before us, it was a rebuilding year. And, uh, and we knew we wouldn't be as good as we would be our senior year. So, so you know, uh, high hopes were for our, my senior year. But I came in, and we just laid a dud our junior year. Um, we laid a dud. Um, it, it just it, it wasn't a pretty season. And at, at some point, the, the coach, his name was Coach Rowe, he, he became very... Uh, uh, very angry at our team. He was just one of those drill sergeant coaches, like just like he's going to get the best out of you by just kind of, you know, riding you and like, ah. 
And I became, I became the object of his frustration. I, I was the reason we were having a bad season. I went from being a starting point guard to, to sitting at the end of the bench, and by the last game, there would be like three seconds you know, left in the game, and he's like, put the end of the bench in. And I remember one time I was like, I'm not going in, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good, there's three seconds left. And, and this, this, this tension and animosity, and like I was angry at him, he was angry at me. I went and played baseball, I had a great uh, junior year, and so I remember uh, uh, beginning of my senior year, I, I came into his office and I said, Coach, I don't want to play for you. And he said, Good, I don't want you to play for me. And, and uh, I, I, was, I was so hurt. I was hoping he'd fight for me. I don't know what I was thinking, but I was a punk senior, you know. And, uh, uh, and my, my boys, the guys I had, I had grown up playing basketball with, they went deep into the state playoffs. And I remember sitting there, it was so hard to go to those games. And I just developed this, this anger towards Coach Rowe and, uh, and ended up going on doing baseball and all that. And, and so fast forward 20 years later, it was 22 years later because it was, it was uh, 2018. Um, they did this alumni baseball thing. They hadn't done it before. They brought all the baseball guys back. And uh, we have this alumni game. And I'm like, I'll go. And, uh, and so I'm at bat and I hit it and I'm running, whatever. And I hear this voice and it's like, come on, Mike. And I'm like, oh my God, I know that voice. <laughs> Come on, Mike! And, and so I went off, and, and this guy runs up to me. He goes, Mike, Jimmy Rowe, Coach Rowe. I'm like, what are you doing here? He goes, I, I coached uh, baseball in the late 80s before I became the head basketball coach, and I just wanted to come back and see guys like you. And I remember I was like, <laughs> okay. Now, like, my wife knows that the one dude I had to work on is Coach Rowe. And so I am like closed off. I am like ready to go out in the field. He goes, Mike, what are you doing now? What are you doing now? What are you doing now? And I was like, well, I'm, I know. I go, I go I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. <laughs> and, uh, and he goes, you're a pastor. Oh, my gosh, you're a pastor. Where are you a pastor at? I said, it's a church in downtown. <laughs> well, what's the name of the church? And I said, it's Upper Room. You've probably never heard of it. And he goes, he goes, he goes, my daughter goes to your church. And I, I, in my head, I'm like, there's no way. One, I don't think you're saved. Two, 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 your daughter's not. She doesn't go to Upper Room. And he goes, he goes, he goes, yeah, she, she was on the mission field with Heidi Baker. And I was like, she definitely goes to upper room, you know, like, so, so I'm like, I'm like, wow, that's, that's, that's wild. What's her name? And he goes, it's Carissa. And he goes, she actually, she actually was in California. And I think y'all did something in California. And I was like, oh yes, I think I do know who your daughter is. And so we, we, we shook hands, you know, that wasn't like a healing moment or anything, but it was cool that his daughter, we had this connection. And uh, a couple of weeks later, I'm in the prayer room walking through and Carissa comes up to me. She goes, Hey, I heard you met my, it's her stepdad, but you met my dad. And I said, I said, yeah, Coach Rose, your dad. Wow. He said, yeah, it's wild. And she goes, he wanted me to give you his number. Will you reach out to him? And I was like, sure. <laughs> I'd love to. I didn't, I don't even know what I did with the number, but I was not going to reach out to Coach Rose. <laughs> well, about two months go by after that. So this is three, four months after I seen Coach Rowe, and I, I run into Carissa uh, again, and uh, she goes, she goes, Mike, you never reached out to coach. And I said, I know. 
I said, well, he, she said, just looked really sober. She goes, will you please do it? Um, he, he was diagnosed two weeks ago uh, with kidney cancer. It was sudden. We weren't ready for it. And he would really like you to come and pray for him. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. I had the number and I didn't call. I texted. <laughs> Coach Rowe, I heard about your diagnosis. I'm so sorry. I just want you to know I'm praying for you. My phone starts ringing. It's Coach Rowe. Hello. Mike, Coach Rowe, thank you for your text. It meant so much. Would you please come out to my house and pray with me and my wife, Jerry? Sure, Coach, I'd love to do that. When can I make it? Come next week. We set a time, set a date, and I'm wrestling with it. I mean, I'm starting to have a little more compassion because he's got cancer, and, but I've, I'm, like, still wrestling with it, honestly. So I go out to his house not knowing what to expect. I walk in, sit in the living room. Coach Rose and a lazy boy, I'm in a lazy boy. They've got communion laid out. His wife's, like, setting it up, hug. You know, we do our greetings, and then she walks out the room. And Coach Rose looks at me, and he goes, Mike, before we start talking about my diagnosis, he goes, I want to talk to you about your senior year in high school. I said, what do you want to talk about? He goes, I've never regretted the way that I coached except for two individuals, and one of them was you. I gave up on you, and I want you to forgive me. I'm sitting there, and I'm like, <laughs> I thought, you know, immediately what comes out of my mouth is, I was a punk kid. You didn't need to be forgiven. You gave me all that. He starts crying. We start hugging. And, and this thing happens between Coach Rowe and I. We end up taking communion, pray for healing. He had gotten saved. His wife was this intercessor, like, crazy woman. You know, like, she's floating. Like, she's, God's going to heal this. And I'm like, I get who you married. And, and so we, we have this relational connect through that. And I began this journey with Coach Rowe of believing for healing for her. And we would pray together, take communion together. And... Um, just for time's sake, there's a, a lot of good memories with him. He, he, we thought God was actually healing him. It was getting better and better and better. But uh, Carissa texted me. It was uh, April of 2020. It was right there in quarantine. She said, Coach Rowe went to be with Jesus. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. So a day later, Jerry calls me, his wife, and said, Jerry, I'm so sorry. We fought, he fought such a good fight. He was in his mid-60s. He died too soon. And She's rejoicing, you know, we, they were there to send him off and this heavenly encounter in the room. And she said, Coach Rowe had one request, though, for you. I said, what? Anything. She goes, would you, would you come and do his funeral? I said, I would be honored to do his funeral. And so April of 2020, when we were all quarantined, I went out to this funeral home in Carrollton off 35, walked in. It was just his family and, uh, and a camera. And because no one had anything else to do, there were like three to 4,000 people, mostly students, watching this. And I got to stand before that camera and preach the gospel. I talked about my testimony and what God had done in my relationship with Jimmy Rowe and how he had healed us and the power of forgiveness. And I got to lead people through forgiveness. And my inbox just flooded with people that I hadn't seen for, for years saying, one, it's evident that you're born again and God's done something in your life. Like, we were shocked that you were the one doing the funeral. Like, shocked. But then when you started talking, we were convicted. And, 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 and the people that had similar testimonies that had been coached that way or a parent, 
And this, this redemptive narrative came out of one of the most challenging relationships that I went through. And here's my point, is that, that point of pain, that person that wronged you could be the gateway for you to experience God's love and be a conduit yes. to others for it. And I think Upper Room Frisco, you're going to embody that. I, I really believe it. I, I know the history of this place, and the enemy is an accuser. He hates what God's doing in this room. And the way that he divides is through the voice of accusation. It's the accuser towards Jeremy, towards Ashley, towards your spouse, towards the elders, towards the leadership. It's just the voice of accusation. And I just want to declare prophetically that this is an accusation-free zone. It's an accusation-free zone. And that we're going to walk, we're going to walk in, in a love that, that doesn't just sugarcoat conflict, but we actually resolve it in the right way. And I think there's people in this room, you're in this room and you're actually carrying wounds of the church from previous places. And the Lord wants to set you free this morning so that you can fully be present here, yes. fully be present here. And there may be some that, you know, one of the things that I think I could keep going, but we have to forgive God. Part of, part of this, it starts with us forgiving God. He doesn't need our forgiveness. He doesn't need it. But you may need to acknowledge that you're offended at him for certain situations. The other thing is forgiving ourselves, those two, and then forgiving others. So I, there's a ministry team, I believe, if they would come forward. Um, and I just want to invite you. We're not going to play music or anything. But I want to invite the ministry team to come up. And here's what I would request. Can you stand? Here's what I would request is if... If the Holy Spirit, I'm going to pray a prayer, and if the Holy Spirit's can just bring in conviction, like I want to set you free in this area with this relationship, would you come forward and receive prayer today? I think some of us may just need to forgive our spouse. Some of us may need to acknowledge something to our spouse or have them walk with us, but let's do business with God just for the next couple of minutes. Is that all right? So Holy Spirit, would you come into this room? Would you search our hearts? As David said, search me and know me. Let's see if there's any offensive ways in our hearts, ways that we've picked up, Lord, bitterness towards historical pains, pains of the past, Lord. Would you do an inventory of our hearts and just bring up any person, any person, Lord, that we need to forgive? Lord, if it's you, if it's ourselves, if it's our spouses, if it's a family member, if it's a coworker, would you bring them right now to the surface? And would you release your love to remove the offense. I just declare bitterness is uprooted in the name of Jesus. And, and the acknowledgement of our need for your grace, and we receive that grace, we receive your forgiveness, we receive your love, and Lord, we want to issue that to others. So I just want to invite you, if you would come forward.